0: We're in a series called Incarnate, and uh, what we're learning through this is uh, really the, the, the mystery of what it means for Jesus to be God and man, and for God to come and dwell among us. And leaving last week, there's this challenge that I've already experiencing as we looked at John chapter 1 last week uh, and those first 18 verses and the, the depth of those. And so if you, if you like doctrine, uh, if that's something that, you know, kind of scratches an itch for you, there's plenty of that in John chapter 1 in the passage that we're going to look at today. But don't be discouraged by things that are a, a bit challenging uh, because what I hope is uh, in a unique way, I, I, I'm not trying to dispel the mystery of the Incarnation but I'm trying to invite you into it. That I'm trying to open up the passages of, that we see in God's Word that talk about Jesus and, and hopefully have those kind of lift us into something, to ponder more deeply, to, to consider. And that's exactly what you're going to hear in this passage in Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2 is not a typical Christmas narrative story, it's, it's, but it's very much about who Christ is and very much about what God has done for us through Christ. And as last week we talked about the divinity of Jesus, Hebrews chapter two is gonna actually talk about the humanity of Jesus. And so let's jump in in chapter two, verse five. It says, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower while lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for a little while who was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery for surely it is not angels that he helps but he helps the offspring of Abraham therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when tempted He's able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. And this is how the writer of Hebrews begins to move through the first couple chapters, and that's that first verse of Hebrews chapter 3, where he's kind of drawing all kinds of kind of themes and ideas about who Jesus is and, and who we are to God and what Jesus has done. And then he says this, consider Jesus ponder Him, contemplate Him. And really that's my hope, is that as you move from last Sunday into this Sunday, and as we look at some really kind of deep and challenging passages that talk about who Christ is, my hope is, is that you consider Him and ponder Him and wonder about him, that there was something that will happen for us. The application of that is that we will move towards a greater level of worship. I got to go to Andrew Peterson's concert at the Civic Center this past Sunday, and one of the lyrics uh, in the singer said this, that he may to be, he may be too good to be understood, but he's not too good to be true. And that idea caught my attention, that he may be too good to be understood, but he's not too good to be true. And I think that's what we're we're kind of diving into last Sunday and this Sunday, as we look at these passages that are quite deep and quite nuanced, what does it say about the divinity of Jesus? And what does it say about the humanity of Jesus that will help us understand the miracle of Christmas, of what it means for God to really be born to us, fully God, fully man? Last week, we talked about this idea that, that Jesus is the eternal, begotten God the Son, that he has eternally been with the Father, that he was with God and that he was God, that he was not created or made at the point of his birth. And that's important for us. It's, It's important to the Gospel. That very idea of the incarnation of Jesus being fully God guards the Gospel for us. Because in other words, if Jesus was created or if Jesus was made at the point of his birth, then that means that there was a point then in which God began to love the son because of what he would ultimately do in his obedience, because of his sacrifice on the cross, that God loved him at a point in time, which means that all sons and daughters who come to God through Christ are then loved because of what they do at a point in time, not because of who they are. Now that's significant for us, so understand. But because Jesus is the Word who was with God, who was face to face with God, who was in community with the Father and eternally loved before creation itself, it means this, that you were created by Christ in preexistent love. Christ created all things. Christ created all, created you. All things were created by Him and through Him and for Him. And if the Son existed with the Father before creation in preexistent love and community, it means that you were created through Christ in love, love before performance. That's the gospel. That before you had done anything good or anything bad, you were loved unconditionally because through the Son, God loves the Son. And so through the Son, you are also loved. So God coming to us, Jesus, fully God in the flesh, is, holds the gospel, holds the good news together. If Jesus isn't fully God, there is no gospel. And if Jesus isn't fully human, there is no gospel. And that's what I want to explore with you today a little bit more. We're just going to kind of dive into this, into the deep end a little bit more, into the humanity of Jesus and understand why that's so important for us. Because God the Son took on flesh, you can know God. Because God the Son took on flesh, you can know God. Let's back up in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. That he, Jesus, is the radiance of of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This idea that he is the radiance of God's glory. Now that, understand this idea of the glory of God and the radiance of God, the brilliance of God. It was something that the writers, Old Testament and New, um, spoke to. First Timothy chapter six says that God lives in unapproachable light. There's something about the environment that the Father is in. There's something about heaven that actually the celestial beings, they shield their eyes at the glory and the brilliance and the illumination of the Father. There's something radiant about God. You go all the way back into the Old Testament. Think about that moment when Moses asked to see God's glory. In Exodus, as they're making their way out of Egypt to the Promised Land, there's a moment where Moses says, I want to see your glory, and God says this, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a rock. I'm going to pass by you. You're going to see my glory where it was, kind of the the trailing end of my glory, but you cannot see my face and live. It's too much. It's too radiant. It's too powerful. A few years ago, maybe you were caught up. Uh, in that opportunity to see a, a solar eclipse and, and, and everybody was talking about that and there were things that you were going to get to see in Huntsville, but if you traveled a little farther north, you could encounter something that they called uh, maximum totality, which sounds like something you'd only hear at a monster truck rally. But if you, if you got to Chattanooga, and just north of Chattanooga, you could actually see the sun a hundred percent obscured by the moon. And everything would go dark. And so everybody's talking about this, friends, family, right? It's making that trip. Are you going to, you know, drive a couple hours through Chattanooga to find maximum totality along I-75? And I don't like to drive through Chattanooga on a good day, and yet thinking about the tens of thousands of people that might be heading north for this once-in-a-lifetime experience, I decided I'm just going to stay in Huntsville. I think we've got 97 percent, you know, totality here. But in staying in Huntsville, you needed to find these these glasses. These, these little filters that you would put on your eyes and had a little NASA logo on it. And the idea was, is if you had these filters that you could look directly up, you could see the sun, you, you could begin to see what was being obscured, but the sun, the portion of the sun that you might see, it wouldn't blind you. And so I showed up with my kids uh, on an outdoor field, everybody's there wearing glasses, staring at the sun, and really taking the glasses off and going blind. I mean, that's probably what was happening. There's a, a lot of eye injuries that day. This idea of needing a filter, of things being so bright, so radiant, so glorious, it's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about when he says you couldn't see God face to face. You you couldn't encounter the brilliance and the holiness and the glory and the majesty as it is, but we got Jesus, that God came in the flesh and veiled in humanity, taking up humanity to himself, all of a sudden the radiance of God was something that we could finally see. To know him, to touch him, to be with him, to see Him face to face, that's what the writer of Hebrews is so amazed about, is that Jesus is the radiance of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He's the shining glory of God in the exact imprint. That, that phrase, exact imprint, can mean precise expression. It's similar to what you and I might say, is that they, um, uh, Jesus is a chip off the old block, or the Father and the Son cut from the same cloth. That there is, there is a substance and a nature in which they share, an exact imprint. The ancient world would understand this with the image of an engraving. Where when you engrave something, you take a, a soft metal or a hot metal and then you, you stamp it with a harder kind of image. And, and after that stamp, there is an impression made uh, and an expression of a portrait or an image is left on the coin or on the medal. And what you begin to see is that Jesus is, by what the writer says, he's the exact imprint of the Father's nature stamped on the soft metal of humanity. We see God in Jesus. His humanity, Jesus coming And taking up flesh allows us to know God in a way that we never would have known Him before. He is the radiance of the Father. He is the exact imprint of the Father. There is no God in heaven unlike Jesus. And we see this happening. And because Jesus became human, we can know God through Him. Now there's this interesting moment in Hebrews chapter 2 where the writer begins to pull in a reflection of psalm chapter 8 psalm chapter 8 is as a pondering of genesis of adam and eve and who they are to god and how god created them in the garden and what responsibilities and what glory and honor god bestowed upon adam and eve and as the writer of hebrews talks about that he says this grabbing from psalm 8 he says what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him you made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor. And here's what the writer is saying. Like, in the hierarchy of things, of, of creation, from the throne downward, from, from God to celestial beings, cherubim, seraphim, angels, what is man in that? You, you created man lower than the angels, lower than the heavenly beings, and yet, and yet there's, there's some, something glorious there. Some kind of image-bearing that he's talking about. Something powerful that you've crowned man with glory and honor. That you gave us an opportunity to rule and have dominion. That there's something really wonderful about man. And what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. And that phrase, that son of man, the, the passage turns a little bit that there's this interplay here because the son of man can mean in Hebrew, a typical human being. What is a typical human being that you're mindful of him? But if you understand the book of Daniel and Jesus' teachings, the son of man was a title in which Jesus used about himself. The son of man is a title that references the Messiah. And the Messiah was to be the true authentic human. He would be God's divine messenger. He would be the rescuer. He would be our savior. That the Messiah is the true, authentic representation of humanity. And then in verse 8, it says, And God put everything under him. So there's these moments where where God seems in the psalm to be talking about humanity at large, and then there's this play here by the end of it where we realize that God is going to put everything under His feet in a passage in Hebrews chapter 2 where it's very much about Jesus. You get this section in it that talks about humanity in Jesus, humanity in Jesus. In other words, that humanity has a chance to know God through what we see in Jesus, that Jesus is the true human that Jesus is the perfect man who shows us what it looks like to finally relate to God, to finally be in communion with him, to walk the garden again as Adam did once. Now, Jesus is that person for us who shows us what it's like to know God. The most significant way that Jesus helps us in his humanity know God is in verse nine, Hebrews chapter two, verse nine. It says, by the grace of God, he, Jesus, might taste death for everyone. Well, you and I live in a a, a democratic republic. And so we we have people, uh, we vote and empower people to to represent us. Uh, We all can't be at those places where the decisions need to be made. And so we find people who then embody our hopes and our concerns, our aspirations, our dreams. And, and those people, those men and women, then embody those things. They move forward with those hopes and dreams in their person. They're representatives. And a representative, in a way, is a, is a substitute for us to go where we cannot go, to do what we cannot do for ourselves. And Hebrews chapter two says this, that Jesus is our representative who tastes death for everyone. He does this for everyone. Jesus does what we cannot do for ourselves so that we can know God, that Jesus has uniquely been positioned in the world to atone for the sins of mankind. And so Jesus in his humanity becomes the perfect substitute, becomes the perfect representative. He is the benefit of all mankind and yet satisfies the wrath and judgment of God, which is no small achievement. And so as Jesus goes to the cross to represent us, to taste death for everyone, he experiences the rightful justice of God at the same time expressing the grace and truth of God and the love of God. And this is why verse 10 says this, that it was fitting that God should make the founder of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through suffering. Now this, this verse has always caused me to pause because when you think about Jesus who is the creator and the sustainer of all things, all things were made through him and by him and for him, then what does it mean that he was made perfect through suffering? How was Jesus made perfect? And I would offer you this, that the writer's not suggesting that Jesus lacked anything, but that as Jesus gathered humanity to himself, he lived our life. He was tempted. He suffered. He dealt with difficult days. He dealt with uh, the fragility of our lives. That Jesus wasn't perfected as if he lacked anything, but he took up to himself our cause, our plight, our lives, so that when a substitute was needed on the cross for the sins of humanity, there was no better substitute than Jesus. He had done it. He'd been with us. He'd been one of us. Because God the Son took on flesh in Jesus, Not only can we now know God, because now we've seen God, and Jesus has now, by the atonement of our sins, dealt with the enemies and the separations that we dealt with. He has now dealt with the penalty of sin. He's now dealt with the the presence of death. He's now dealt with those things. Those things that used to have us in bondage, those used to keep us in fear, those used things that used to enslave our lives. Jesus has now dealt with sin and dealt with death so that you can actually know God. But not only did Jesus come in human form, to take up humanity so that you could know God, but in doing so now you have the confidence that God knows you, that God actually knows you. Hebrews chapter two, verse 17 says this, that Jesus was made like his brothers in every respect. The NIV version says this, that Jesus was made, he was fully human in every way. Now, listen, in, in the early days of the New Testament, as is this, is this idea was being spoken and being shared, uh, there were people who, instead of just kind of being caught up in the wonder of it, they began to dismiss it. And this group of people were called uh, docetists. And, and docetism was this idea that Jesus only seemed. He only seemed human. That when he ate, he only seemed to eat. That when he walked, he only pretended to walk. That when he died on the cross, it only seemed that way. That he was, his divinity and the the spiritual aspects of Jesus wouldn't really allow him to be fully human. And so this is what we begin to see. But throughout the New Testament, you don't, you're not offered that idea. That throughout the New Testament, you see, you get Jesus' tears. You, You get Jesus being tired. You hear his prayers. You hear his struggles, you see him retreating. Jesus didn't kind of power up and and take a hit of divinity when it got tough to be a human. You don't see him going back and forth between being a human and being God. He was fully human all the time. And we see this walking out in Gregory of Nazianzus. One of these ancient church fathers, I was gonna introduce you from last week to this week to tell you some, some things that have always been said. Fourth century bishop from Constantinople said this. He said, what Christ has not assumed, he has not healed. Now he was looking at Hebrews chapter two, this passage that we're looking at as well. And he says this, what Christ has not assumed, he has not healed. In other words, The human nature and and the physical body of Jesus is important and critical. If there's ever going to be a hope for our bodies, for our human nature, that Christ took on flesh and blood so that flesh and blood could be healed. That if we just leave Jesus spiritual, if we just highlight the divine part of him without the human part of him, then we miss the very things that we need healed in our own lives. That Jesus would go to the cross, he would experience death in flesh and blood and represent us that way. And passing through death to the other side, what Jesus shows us on the other side of the cross through the resurrection is a new body. It's it's different. Something has changed. There's something new that's happening because Jesus became like us in every way. He takes us to the cross in every way and he heals us in every way. It's, it's the hope. Jesus' humanity is the hope that you and I would have a renewed physical body at some point. And we see that, this is what we get. He gives us hope that there'll be a future body, that you and I won't be wearing glasses, our eyesight will be healed. We won't be taking cholesterol medicine. You won't be suffering from anxiety and chemical depression. That there are things from male pattern baldness to ingrown toenails that you will never experience again. <laughs> The Jesus taking on flesh and blood means that he is here to heal flesh and blood, to give us something new, to have a hope for a different future than what we're experiencing right now. Jesus' humanity is central to the salvation of our humanity. And and don't miss this, Jesus is still human. Jesus moves through the cross, through the resurrection, to the ascension, and is now at the right hand of the Father still fully God, still fully human. And what that means for us is amazing. It means this, is that heaven and earth can come together. That the spiritual and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and, and the material can come together. That there's something about heaven and earth that are able to coexist. The fact that Jesus is in heaven as a human is our hope that we can do that too that we can be in God's presence, still human with a body and a life. So don't miss this idea of his humanity, that as Jesus comes and he is like us in every way, Jesus coming in the flesh shows us that God knows us. He's been where we are. And this is what verse 18 picks up. That he was made like us so that he might become merciful and faithful. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, here's what you need to hear: he is able to help. Able to help. Jesus suffered consider this for just a moment. Jesus, the eternal Word of God, who was with God, who was God, who prior to His birth here lived in an experience of unapproachable light where cherubim and seraphim would shield their eyes from the magnitude of the glory and holiness and majesty of God. Jesus comes here and he begins to relate to us through our violence, he begins to commune with us through our selfishness, through all of our hoarding, through all of our manipulation. Consider the the contrast, the magnitude of the contrast between heaven and earth. Sinclair Ferguson said this, that no one has ever suffered as much as Jesus. No one has ever suffered quite like Jesus. You've never been as thirsty as Jesus. You've never been as hungry. You've never felt the sorrow that he felt. You never felt the shame that he felt. Jesus was the perfect human from heaven to be with us, to relate to us in this fallen world. You've never known anything that wasn't touched by sin, but Jesus did. And because Jesus knew an experience where there was no sin, entering into our world created such a profound suffering for him that we can understand that he knows what we need. Imagine, A perfect human, not dulled or numbed, but fully alive, experiencing all of human sickness and human sin. And because Jesus suffered when he was tempted, he knows what you need. Jesus has walked in your shoes, and so he is merciful. Jesus knows what it's like for you to be tired. And so he is compassionate. Jesus knows what it's like. He knows what it is to be hungry, thirsty, sweaty, fatigued, tired of difficult people, resolving personal conflict. He knows what it's like to celebrate and have the intimacy of friendships, and he knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows where you are because he's been there. He's walked in it. And because he knows what it's like, there is no better advocate that you have, no better help that you have than the one who says this, that he is not ashamed to call us brothers in the assembly. He knows us. And because he's fully human, he has compassion on us, mercy on us. And this is the invitation to you to to know that Jesus knows what you need even before you ask him. He's that good. He has that much insight. And so as you approach Christmas this year, Christmas is this reminder that God went to infinite lengths so that you might know Him. God went to infinite lengths so that you might have confidence that He knows you. And there's something happening here is Jesus takes on flesh, that he knows us and has compassion and mercy on us. And so as the writer of Hebrews begins to move into chapter three, he says, out of all this, consider Jesus. Look at him, ponder, contemplate. Don't look at Jesus as just an agent of help when you need something done in your life, but look at the one that was born to us. Not Jesus, a baby, but Jesus, the second member of the Trinity divine, eternal, majestic. He is the sustainer and creator of all things, infinite in holiness, majesty, wonder, brilliance. And he has come here so that you might know him, so that you could be close to God. Fully God, fully man, And what we begin to realize is that this is the gospel. If if the incarnation has never caused you to ponder and and never caused you to marvel, then you don't know what the incarnation really means. Because as you look at it, it never gets old. It is a it is it is news of overwhelming and overwhelming miraculous grace and power on God's half, on God's part for us. So approach Christmas this way. Consider Jesus. Ponder Him. See Him for He is. That He came here so that you might know God. And He came here so that you would have the confidence that He knows you too. He knows what you need. Let's pray. God, thank you for what we see throughout your Scriptures and that they are full of infinite surprise and wonder. As we think about Christ, God the Son, being born to us. God, I pray that we would be lifted into that mystery. Not dismiss it because we can't fully understand it, but let it grow something in us from wonder to an expression of worship to praise you, to be amazed again, to be in awe. God, thank you that you know what we need. Thank you that Christ's humanity teaches us that he has suffered, that he has been tempted. And because of that, he is compassionate and merciful. Thank you that he still advocates for us. Thank you that he still calls our names in the assembly And if there's something, God, that we need today, we trust and thank you that you already know what it is. We come to you, present our requests, that we come to you and offer you our concerns because you're a God who understands. You're a God who knows. And you're a God of grace and compassion and mercy. And I pray that today we find ourselves with greater confidence, greater hope that what you did through the birth of Christ has changed everything. As we worship, let us find a new place of awe. Let us find a new place of wonder. That it may be, it may be too good to be understood, but it's not too good to be true.